So today we begin, uh, today we continue our sermon series that we're calling Broken, Good News for Tough Times. And we've been looking through Paul's letter to the Romans and asking ourselves what that letter might say to us in the midst of our brokenness and what it might say to the world in the midst of its brokenness. Our passage of Scripture today is this text from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, and the title of the sermon this morning is All-Inclusive Grace. All-Inclusive Grace. Years ago, I was sitting by the bedside of a woman who was dying. It was pretty clear to me that she was about to slip from this world into the next. This woman was a woman of deep, deep faith. She had been the light of Christ in so many ways to so many people. And I remember thinking to myself as I sat next to her bedside that this was going to be one of the easier funerals that I'd ever had to officiate because this woman in a beautiful and marvelous way loved God and she loved her neighbor It was beautiful to see. And I knew that whenever it was that this woman breathed her last breath, that she would receive her heavenly reward. On this particular visit, she wasn't very talkative, which was one of the indications that I had that she might not be long for this world. And in those moments, I just have learned that the ministry of presence is as good as any kind of ministry in such a time. And as we sat there quietly together, I noticed that a tear began to go down the side of her face, and I just assumed, being a know-it-all preacher type, that she was crying because she didn't want to die, or that she was afraid to die. And so I I just decided to ask her, I said, "Why, why are you crying? And is it because you are afraid to die or that you don't want to die? And she assured me that that's not why she was crying at all. In fact, she said she was sort of looking forward to spending eternity with God, to being in full communion with God, finding that her mind and her body and spirit were perfectly restored in glory. And so I was puzzled, and I was like, well, why are you crying then, if you don't mind me asking? And this woman pointed to a photograph that was on the nightstand next to her bed. I I looked at the photograph and I instantly recognized everybody in the photograph. In fact, I knew a little bit about every single person that was in that photograph by her bed. Her husband was in that photograph. He passed away before I came to be the pastor there, but I had heard lots of stories about this guy. People just talked so lovingly about him. They said that he was a godly husband and a godly father and one of the most influential leaders in the church that I was now serving. I noticed one of her children. I knew that son really, really well. He was the kind of guy that was in our church every time that the doors were open, except when he was sick or 
out of town. He was the kind of guy that, that served in all sorts of different leadership positions in the church. He was a very generous man, one of the best uh, givers in our church. But the thing that I love the most about this guy is that he was one of those guys that if you had something that you wanted somebody to pray about, you went to him. It was like this guy had a direct phone line to God. I, I don't know how it was, but man, if, if you could get him to pray for something in your life, it just seemed like God, like he went to the front of the prayer line and, and that God heard his prayers more than any others. And, and I, I love this man and, and what he meant to our church. And then there was a daughter that was also in the picture. I, I knew her reasonably well. She had moved away. She'd started a family of her own in another place. She was real active in her church there. She taught Sunday school. Uh, she volunteered to help with the youth. And even after her youth graduated from high school, she continued to be a volunteer to the youth group. I knew her because every time that she came home to visit her family, she always made it a point to come and worship with her mother. And so I knew a little bit about her as well. There was a third child in that photograph by her bedside. And when I saw that child, I suspected that this might be the reason why this woman was crying. Because this son was born into the same godly family, raised in the same godly church by the same godly parents, and yet this child never darkened the door of the church at all. In fact, this child claimed to be an atheist and didn't believe in God at all. And that's why this woman was crying. She was crying because she had prayed and prayed ever since she found out that she was sick, that she would live long enough to see that, that son that had decided to turn away from the church, to turn away from the faith, to turn away from God. She wanted to see that child come back home, come back to faith, come back to God. And it was settling into her mind that the reality was is that she would probably not live long enough to see that. And that's why she was crying. That's why her heart was filled with grief. In our scripture lesson this morning, Paul's heart is breaking too. And it's breaking for a similar reason as the woman that I just described in the opening illustration. You see, Paul, ever since he has come to faith in Jesus Christ, since he was traveling on the road to Damascus and had an encounter with the living Christ, he has spent every day of his life since then teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah for which they have been waiting, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so Paul is teaching about the good news of God's great love in, made known to us in Jesus Christ to anybody that would listen. And while untold numbers of people came to embrace Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior for themselves, as the result of Paul's teaching and his preaching and his testimony, 
many of Paul's Jewish brothers and sisters have not. And Paul's heart is breaking because of that. And Paul wants these brothers and sisters in, in his Jewish faith to, to come to faith in Christ, to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, to embrace Jesus as the Savior. And yet Paul realizes that you can't force that kind of thing to happen. It's a choice that they have to make. But make no mistake about it, because they haven't yet made that choice, Paul is deeply grieved in his spirit. And yet it's in the midst of Paul's grief that Paul reminds himself and subsequently reminds all of us who have heard or read his letter since then that even though there are Jewish brothers and sisters in the faith who have not embraced Jesus as Savior, as Messiah, uh, those Jewish brothers and sisters still belong to God. And in fact, not only do they still belong to God, Paul even goes so far to say is that they remain children of the adoption, that they remain children of glory, that they remain children of the covenant, that they remain children of the law, that they remain children of worship, that they remain children of the promise. Paul is, is trying to convince himself and to remind himself that, that uh, these treasure is still available to these Jewish brothers and sisters, not because of their faithfulness to God, but because of God's faithfulness to them. And even though Paul might be tempted to think that because they have not embraced Jesus as the Savior, that they have turned their backs on God, Paul reminds himself that God has not turned God's back on them. And in that moment, Paul is just decided that he is going to lay claim to the all-inclusive grace of God. And he is going to believe that that grace is being made available even to those Jewish brothers and sisters who have not yet claimed Christ as the Messiah. He has just spent an entire chapter in his letter talking about the inseparable love that has been made known to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to claim and he is going to believe that that same inseparable love is being made known to his Jewish brothers and sisters who have not professed faith in Christ. And so what Paul is going to do is that he is going to place those Jewish brothers and sisters uh, into the hands of God. He is going to trust these people with the lives of his Jewish brothers and sisters that he loves. Now, I don't think that Paul here is embracing some form of universalism. I don't think that what Paul is saying here is that it doesn't matter what you believe or that it doesn't matter who you believe in, that somehow and in some way all dogs and all people go to heaven. 
I think what Paul is, I, I, I don't think he's saying those things because if he, if he really believed that, if he really believed that it doesn't matter who you, what you believe or in who you believe, he wouldn't be so deeply anguished as he says he is in this letter. If he really believed that it didn't matter, Paul wouldn't go on record saying that I would just as soon be cut off from Jesus for all of eternity so that everybody who doesn't know Jesus could become a follower of Jesus. But what I do think that Paul is saying, he's reminding himself, he's reminding those who have come to faith in Christ, he may even be trying to remind God that all people matter to God. And that all people are loved by God. And most importantly, all people are saved by God, by God's grace and nothing else. So Paul is just going to place his Jewish friends into the hands of this God that can be trusted, into the hands of this God with all-inclusive grace. Which is essentially just what I told that mother as I sat by her bedside that day as she was grieving the fact that one of her children had walked away from God and walked away from the faith. I told her that it's okay for you to grieve. It's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to be filled with anxiety and with worry. That's, that's just a natural feeling in the midst of something like that. It's also important for you to continue to pray for that child faithfully and continually because you desire for them to have the relationship with Jesus that you have with Jesus. It's also important for you, I told her, to remember that your son belongs to God even if your son doesn't realize it or even if your son doesn't accept it. I told her that it's also important for you to remember that while your son may think that he's given up on God, God will never give up on your son. I told her that we can trust God with the lives of those we love. I told her that we could continue to believe and to trust that God is still working in the life of her son, and even though she may draw her last breath before she sees the evidence that she longs to see, that she can draw her last breath knowing that God is with her son and that God loves her son and that nothing can separate her son from that love. In a room this size, there may very well be some mamas and some daddies and some siblings who are grieving because someone you know, because someone you love is far from God.
And what I want to share with you today is that it's okay to be grieved. It's okay to cry. But it's important to remember that you can still pray and you can still trust that God is at work in the lives of those you love that appear to be far from God. And I want you to know that nothing can separate the ones you love from the love of God. And I want you to know that even though you may not live to see evidence that you long to see, that they have uh, come to faith in Christ as you long for them to come to faith in Christ, that God will never give up on those you love. And that God will never turn God's back on those you love, even though they may have turned their back on God. There is always hope, because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we are saved not because of what we do, but because of God's all-inclusive grace. And we pray that that grace and that love will always win.